Thanks so much for leading for us this morning in worship. Uh, so we, just to let you guys know, I am uh, Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, we are headed on another road trip to Colorado, our family. So just pray for no hotel parking lot shootouts and um, tickets, speeding tickets. Pray for that for me. Um, so we'll be gone until I think July 9th or 10th. I can't recall which one, but sometime in July we'll be gone. Uh, so um, we'll miss you guys, of course, but we're going to be um, having fun in the 60-degree weather of Colorado. It should be a lot of fun. Um, so we started a new series last week called From the Heart, and we are asking each person to share something that they wish they'd heard in high school. And I want to give a plug. Uh, Riley Weston's going to do next week, and not going to tell you the topic, but I think you should all come and hear it. It's going to be July 4th, but you need to be here. Um, you guys don't do fireworks in the morning anyway, so do that in the evening. Uh, so be here um, next week to hear him on the topic that he's chosen. And last week we discussed this, this idea of sacred discontent. You guys could go online and listen to it if you want on our high school page. Um, listen to our, the podcast if you'd like to do that. Looking back at the book of 3 John. And I wanted to save the last few verses of 3 John for this week, for this week's topic. And so um, the, uh, I'm not sure my clicker is working. Yeah, it's not working. Um, so the first slide has the last few verses of, of 3 John. It says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. So John is writing this to his friend Gaius that we discussed last week. And uh, I wanted you to see the last few verses of that passage because he talks about friendship and how much these people mean to him. And so today we're talking about true friendship. Now, what, I, what always encourages me during impact season is the new friendships that develop and pop up. Because there are people that you didn't even know who they were. We started impact, and now they're, they're going to be some of your closest friends. And so I thought today would be appropriate to talk about what true friendship looks like and, uh, and how it can play out, I think, in our context here. And so as John closes his letter to his friend Gaius, he makes clear, he says, I don't like the distance between us. He says this statement, um, I, I would rather see you face to face. He says, I would rather see you face to face instead of just using pen and ink. And so I thought about that as it relates to the last 14 months especially. Face to face is better than texting. It's better than Zoom. It's better than talking on the phone. It's better than social media. Um, it's better than even wearing a mask, sitting socially distanced. But Nothing tops face-to-face -face interaction. We can all agree with that. And so John is, I think, talking about that here. There's just something about face-to-face -face where you see emotion. You can connect with someone, and this actually can build friendship. And John is saying, I want to be with you in this way, and I wish there wasn't this distance between us. And I know the last 14 months especially have reminded all of us how important this kind of thing is. So John considered this man, Gaius, considered him a close friend. I know that we use the word community a lot here at TBC, but it's really about how to cultivate friendship. You know, community is kind of like a fancy church word. We're really just talking about friendship. Like, how do we do friendships well? That's really the big idea. So community will only be as good as our friendships. Now, it's true. Most people are not excited to talk about friendship. If you say we're doing a friendship series at the church, 
People don't typically go, oh, I'm coming to that. But if you say we're doing a dating series, I mean, now you're interested, right? Now you're, 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 you're ready to, to listen. You know, friendship, I would say friendship isn't as appealing as romance. I mean, romance gets our attention. What do they put in the movies? They put romance in the movies. There's friendship, but it's kind of a peripheral thing. But friendship doesn't sell movie tickets. Romance sells movie tickets, right? And the same can be said when you're walking through, like, the checkout line at the store. And what do they put on the front covers of those magazines? It's all the romance drama, right? That's what sells those things. Uh, on those magazine covers, it's things like, you know, look who's sleeping with who, look who cheated on who. It's never look who's friends with who. Like, that's never the, the story, right? Um, the paparazzi, they don't hide out looking for photos to get photos of, like, who's in a friend relationship. That's not what they do. Um, romance has a way of moving the needle, but friendship, maybe not so much. And so when you think about friendship over the last... Uh, many months, there is an epidemic of loneliness in our culture, and that was before COVID happened. This is already happening before COVID, and I think COVID just made it even worse. Um, I want to show you a picture. I'll see if this thing's working now. Yeah, there we go. This is a woman named Tracy Crouch, and she is the minister of loneliness in the UK. Like, they had this almost cabinet-level position in their government, and her job, she's the first ever appointed. Her job, like in our, we, in our country, we have like the Secretary of Defense or the Secretary of whatever else. And she is the Minister of Loneliness in the UK. That's her job, is to figure out the epidemic of loneliness in, their, in, their, uh, in the UK. Um, I also came across this recently. This is a real thing. Oh, whoops, there we go. There's a Rent-A-Friend website that was started in Japan, took off worldwide. It's kind of creepy and weird. Like, when you look, it's just, I mean, it's, it's just a crazy idea. But this is a real thing, and it's taken off. And not only can you go rent a friend and to show you around town or whatever, but you can also sign up to be a friend that someone else rents. It's really creepy and weird. Um, but this is a real thing. and just highlights, I think, that people don't, know how to navigate relationships very well. They've got to pay someone to do just the basic things of life now for some, for some people. So today we're going to focus on um, what close friendships look like. This thing is still not working, so if you could help me there at the back, that'd be a huge help. There we go. Um, so there's four different kinds of relationships. First, there's impersonal, and that's just, you know, someone that you may, maybe see at the store and you just say hi briefly, whatever. And then there's, uh, the second would be acquaintances, and that's someone that you know their name, maybe you know something about them, but nothing really deep. And then third, we have casual friends. That's someone that you, you kind of know them. You're kind of like your friends. You call them a casual friend. Then there's close friends. So today we're talking about close friends and how to navigate these true friendships, these close friendships. And as we describe what this looks like this morning, I don't want you to be discouraged. You're going to walk away from this and say, I don't know if I have any true friends. That might be you today, and that's okay because we're trying to set you up for the long haul for the rest of your life and not just look at the here and now. But the hope is that you can start moving towards what we're talking about this morning as you decide to move into friendship with a different mindset. And so we're talking about close friendships this morning as we, as we do this message. 
But please don't be discouraged as we talk about this, because I know a lot of us are going to think, man, that seems like a really high bar. I'm not sure if I'll ever attain that. But I think it's important for us to look at this topic. So what are the marks of true friendship? Well, the first is affection. And true friends have affection for one another. So that's, that just means they like being together. They like being around, not necessarily physical, you know, but it means that they like being together. They like being around each other. And sometimes we express our affection through um, nicknames or there's a sense of belonging. So I heard a lot of nicknames at Impact Camp. I'm not going to repeat all of them up here on stage. But um, we generally give nicknames to people that we have great affection for. And that person might be annoyed by it, but it's usually the way that we show someone that we really love and care for them. And uh, there's a sense of belonging with that. One great example in the Bible is the friendship of Jonathan and David. In 1 Samuel verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1, it says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And so when they had to separate, there was this real emotional response. They both cried. These two grown men cried at having to be separated because they had this great affection for each other in their friendship. We also see over in Acts chapter 20, verse 37, there's this really powerful scene where, where Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, probably for the last time, and it's, it's like they know they're not going to see him again, Paul. And they're on the beach, and they're all just weeping and getting emotional because they're saying goodbye to their friend Paul. And so I would say that men, I think, struggle with this idea of affection a lot more so than women do. It's, it's true for a lot of us guys, we're afraid to tell another guy how much he means to us, how much the friendship means to us. Because it can feel, for whatever reason, our culture for guys, it can feel creepy and weird to say to another guy, hey man, this friendship really means a lot to me. I really respect you and admire you as a friend. Like even just saying something as simple as that is difficult for a lot of guys to say, including myself. But I would tell you this, that a man who is secure in his identity as a man, can tell another guy how much his friendship means without it feeling creepy or weird. And I think some men, what they do, the moment they start to communicate something like that, what do guys do? They resort to sarcasm. And they think that sarcasm is a spiritual gift that God has given to them. And so they want to use it for the, the building up of the body of Christ, right? That's how a lot of guys think. But for us guys, we have to understand that um, we need to be able to tell each other what the friendship means. And we're, 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 we're glad that God's given us the gift of friendship in this person. The second mark of friendship is constancy. And Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This means, constancy just simply means that they have a commitment to the friendship. Now listen, friendship isn't marriage, right? You don't take vows for friendship. But I would say this, if you start being manipulative and dysfunctional in the friendship, then that person has every right to pull away from the friendship. You, you don't get to be manipulative, dysfunctional, start fires in the relationship, the friendship, and then throw this verse down and say, well, you know, a friend loves at all times. Like, you don't get to do that. If you start breaking the rules of friendship and the person begins to pull away, well, that shouldn't be a surprise to us, right? But um, it is true there should be some constancy or some, something constant about a friend as long as you both are trying to do friendship the right way. You know, many times we view friendship 
as no commitment or no effort, you know, that's the beauty, right? Like, there's not, this is not complicated. It's just a friendship, and so it shouldn't be too complicated. But there is some element of commitment to friendship, and we see this also, I think, in the friendship of Jonathan and David. So how do you know that a friend is constant? Well, I would say when they stick with you in suffering, when you're walking through a really tough situation and that friend is right next to you, this verse says it here that a brother is born for adversity. So when you're walking through adversity in your life and that friend sticks close to you, this is talking about that. This is someone who is constant with you. So when, when someone suffers, when one person suffers in a friendship, the friendship stops being fun, just about fun. So what happens when one of you goes through hard things? Does that person stay with you as you go through those difficult things? Do they remain constant as a friend? I like what this next writer says. The world is full. Go to the next slide back there. The world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It's a disappointing place. But the brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. So many people ask questions like, why God allows suffering? But here's what I know. The people that make it through suffering are people that do so because they have people around them that are supporting them. There is nothing worse than suffering alone. When you suffer, you already feel isolated. Have you noticed that whenever one of your friends is going through some really hard things in their life, that a lot of you all begin to pull away, not because you don't care, but because you don't know what to say. You don't know how to fix it. And you feel like, I want to call them, I want to say something, but I don't know what to say. I'm going to say the wrong thing. And so we just retreat and pull away. And so suffering comes, what comes with suffering is already a sense of isolation. And now if, if someone doesn't have someone or people around them, that, 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 that just adds to the isolation. That just adds to the suffering. So, um, again, this does not mean that someone has to stay with you if you're the one that's causing the adversity. If you're the one causing the drama, that doesn't mean that friends need to stay with you because of some, this principle in the verse. But um, you don't get to use this verse if you're the one stirring up drama. But we need constancy in friendship, but that does not mean the other side, which is someone who's overbearing. And this can happen a lot in friendship. So constant does not mean clingy. Okay? Look at Proverbs 25, 17. This talks about that. It says, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. That is a great verse. That is a wonderful verse. And all the introverts are like, I love that verse. I love that verse a lot. This is why I love Proverbs, because somebody will take the last verse, a friend loves at all times, and think that a friend loves at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And you, you might say, yeah, but, but you said friends are constant. And that doesn't mean constantly over at their house. That's not what that means. Some people are just overbearing people. They're not self-aware about the situation. They're not wise. And this is what Proverbs talks about. And that person usually has short-lived friendships. You know, I've always thought it'd be a great idea. Show my next slide. To put this verse on a welcome mat. Like right outside your house. It'd be such a great, I could like market this and sell it, I think. I think it would sell like crazy. Um, we can work on that. But I would call this, some call this emotional intelligence. There are people that say 
The most important indicator of success for a person in life is this quality, emotional intelligence. Someone who understands the situation. They're self-aware, and they know when someone wants them to go home, and they've outstayed their welcome. And this is a really important quality for us to have. And someone who doesn't get this, knowing when is enough, being able to read people, read the situation. And there are some other ways this plays out too, not just staying in someone's physical presence for too long, but another way it plays out is making every conversation about you. Like you're in a conversation and just somehow you always direct it back to yourself and say, and make it about yourself. And this can happen as well. Never showing curiosity about someone else's life, asking them questions about their life, themselves, and showing interest in them, or always doing what you want to do. Whenever it's time for friends to plan fun, somehow we end up doing what you want to do every single time. This is a person that's not self-aware. It doesn't have emotional intelligence. It's someone that I think would have short-lived friendships. And so there's, a, there's constancy, but that doesn't mean clingy. And then thirdly, there's transparency. You know, some people overshare, but there are some people that undershare and never share anything about themselves. And so if you never share what's happening deep inside of you, you're not going to have close friends if you don't let your friends in, if you don't let them see what's happening in your heart and soul. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, there's a writer named Drew Hunter that I've given you a summary of one of his chapters. I'll get to that in a second. But he says it like this about this verse. He says, it's not only about obedience and disobedience, but the light is the place of cleansing. This means that darkness isn't just the place where we disobey. It's the place that we hide. And light isn't just where we obey, but where we are transparent about our disobedience. So he says, walking in light isn't about being perfect, but admitting that we're not perfect. And so every year I hear this happen at Impact Camp. And it's why, partly why we go to Impact Camp in the way that we do. But I always hear this every year where students begin confessing to each other, confessing sin struggles to each other and to their leaders. And I love that because this is transparency. This is what it's talking about. But we're not just to be transparent about sin only, but also about emotional struggles as well. And that's not necessarily sin. That's just we're struggling. We live in a fallen world and we struggle sometimes. And again, I'm going to pick on the guys a little bit this morning because this is where guys, I think, don't want to be very transparent most of the time. There are three primary emotions that we talk about a lot. There's sadness, there's fear, there's anger. Out of those three, there's only one for men in our culture. Anger is the only accepted emotion for men in our culture, anger. Because there's this righteousness and justice element with anger and so it's why you'll see on a football field or any sports field, when a man gets angry, some will say, no, he had a right to be angry. And so men can express anger in the political arena, the media arena, the sports arena, and it's considered sometimes celebrated and okay for men to do, but men don't want to get into sadness and fear. We're not going to talk about that because that's, that, that makes us feel weak. 
that makes us feel vulnerable. But over the years, here's what I've seen as a pastor, is that there are many men who have deep fears, deep sadness, and when it's never dealt with, it blows up into anger. And so for a lot of guys especially, when you see a lot of anger coming out, it's usually tied back to one of those other two emotions. There's sadness and fear that's been undealt with, and um, it's coming out as anger, and this is, this is what can happen, I think, in our, in our relationships and friendships. So the question is, how do you learn transparency? Well, some simple questions. What, what fears do you have? What makes you sad? What are you angry about? Begin talking about that stuff with people that are close to you. Start talking about it, confessing it. If you learn this in friendship, it will help you eventually in marriage. And then, uh, fourthly, there's empathy. This is the ability to feel what someone else feels, to be able to see what someone else sees. This person can detect someone else's emotional state and adjust to it. That's what empathy is. So again, whenever we suffer, we begin to feel isolated and alone, like nobody understands us. And that feeling of isolation only adds to the suffering. But when that friend shows up who really understands what you're going through and can feel what you're feeling, that person cuts our sorrow in half. They don't eliminate it, but they can help with it. And when you're going through times of great joy and gladness, and there's a friend there to enjoy that with you, that is, that is a powerful thing. That, that can double your joy when someone's there to, to, to walk with you through that as well. You know, Proverbs has some warnings for people that are not empathetic, and one of the verses is Proverbs 25, verse 20, where it says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Now, that's hard to understand what's being talked about here. I'll explain this. But when someone, there's the people, there are the people in life who, when someone's having a difficult time, they're just like always cheery, and they're just like, well, cheer up. And they're like, wanna, they want to play you a song, or they want to sing a song, or they're, they're just always on. And you're like, no, but right now I'm just sad. Like, shut up. <laughs> it's not the time for that. That's what's being talked about here. It's like someone who, if you're cold wearing a garment and you're snuggled into your coat, that person is like the person who walks up and just rips that garment off of you. That's, that, that's, that's not a good way to handle that situation, right? That's not the, the right response. It's an annoying response. It's, it grates on you and just, ugh. It's like... It says vinegar and soda. Vinegar and soda don't mix well. They explode. And so this person, this person is someone, their, their words never mix well with the situation. They just always are off because they don't have this empathy response towards people. And again, going back to this idea of emotional intelligence, understanding the situation, how to respond to it. Proverbs 26 verses 18 to 19 says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Once again, if you're joking 
causes someone else to get hurt, that it's not a joke. It's actually sin. This would be like, just think of the image being used here. It's pretty, pretty stark. But if someone threw an arrow through someone's chest and like really hurt them physically, and the guy's like, you just shot an arrow through my chest. And the guy's like, I was just joking. Like, but you hurt the guy. Like, that's not a joke. You hurt the guy. You injured him. So this is why if someone gets hurt, it's not a joke. It's actually sin. So someone who's not empathetic is going to struggle to have real friends, or at best they're just going to be surface-level friends. You know, when someone suffers, it can be hard to know what to say. And oftentimes we avoid those, those situations. But Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And sometimes that's the absolute best thing that you can do, and everyone can do that. Everyone can weep with those who weep. Everybody can rejoice with those who rejoice. You don't need some magic words. You don't need a counselor's degree to be able to weep with those who weep. When you're in a really tough situation yourself and you're suffering, ask yourself the question, what do I need from my friends right now? Probably them just to show up and be present and just say to you, hey, I'm so sorry, and to weep with you as you weep. That would be the best thing for you. And so now you can turn and be that for your friends when they're walking through similar things. So I don't have time to cover this next section, but what I did is I, I, I summarized a whole chapter in this guy's book, and it's on how to cultivate true friendship. It just gives some pointers on some things to think about. You can read that later on your own. So I won't cover that this morning. It's how to, how to cultivate true friendship. But I want to close with this question. Where do we find the resources for real friendship like this? You know, real friendship is discovered, not forced and if life is only about just getting friends, if your whole mission in life is, I just need to get some friends, if that's your whole mission, you're never going to have any friends. Because friendship should be about something else. And the great thing about friendship in the church is that true friendship must be about something else, and it has to be about the gospel. That's where real friendship is going to begin. On the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus says in John 15, 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus, the eternal, all-powerful creator, is sitting with his disciples, and he calls them his friends. You see, the cross is like this cosmic act of friendship. And I would say the greatest resource for friendship is the gospel itself. And once you and I get this, we'll understand the words of, of this old writer from many years ago who said, Christian friendship is extending the fellowship of Christ to one another. What that means is you realize the friendship that's offered you through the gospel, through the cross, in Jesus Christ, and now you're going to extend that to other people as well. So true friendship is about recognizing the friendship offered us in Christ, receiving it, and then extending that fellowship to others. And this mission should be at the center of friendship. You pursue Christ, you pursue his kingdom, his mission, and you see people, you see people running along next to you, and now you get to run together. That's what friendship should look like.
I love these last two quotes that I'll read to you. It says, we have few friendships because we are not willing to pay the price of friendship. The secret of friendship is just the secret of all spiritual blessing. The way to get is to give. And then last one from Drew Hunter. He says, as we do all this, we give our friends grace. If we need our friends to be perfect friends, we'll become terrible friends. The best advice for cultivating friendship is not to find a better friend, but to become one. So I went super long today. I apologize. We're going to go to our breakouts.